This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Love it, love it. Oh, fun. Well, good morning, everybody. Like Ron said, I'm Joel. I'm, I'm, I'm the new guy. I don't know how long I wear that title, but I'm enjoying it because it's really fun meeting faces. And you've been so gracious. Some of you I met four times and you're like, remember my name? And I'm like, not yet. So I appreciate your kindness and your graciousness. And I'm still learning things about this. Like I, I just discovered this week that we're not alone in our time together this morning, that there's a whole group of people out there somewhere joining us Facebook live stream. So how cool is that? So Ryan, you better be watching because you said you were. So glad, hope you're joining us this morning. But I just think that's great. Like we, we are a community that's so much bigger than I think we even realize at times. And I think it's just neat to see that. And I think there's something cool about that because I think the way God works in our story is so much bigger than I think we realize sometimes. Like he's doing some neat stuff. And, and so we've been taking a look starting last Sunday and continuing for the next few weeks at the story of a guy named Jonah. And what we learn in Jonah's story is God has a desire for us to step into a rhythm with him, to live our lives in sync with him, because he's got a mission for us in life, in this world. And, and he wants to, to tell his story through our story and, and through us to invite other people to step into the goodness of who he is. And, and so we, we're really looking at this story to kind of get a picture of what does it look like when we're living our lives in sync. And, and what's great about looking at Jonah is he shows us the antithesis of that. Sometimes you learn by saying, oh, don't do that. And so that's why we're looking at Jonah at this point in his story to kind of give us a picture of what does a life out of sync look like and, and how can we wrestle with that in the story. And, and so if you were here last Sunday and, and if you weren't, no problem. I would encourage you to just go online. You can catch up with the teaching if you ever missed. But we began to see that God had a, a mission for Jonah's life, a purpose for him. And, and he invites him into doing this awesome assignment of going to this group of people called the Ninevites and to proclaim his judgment against them. And Jonah's like, I'm not down with that. <laughs> And he's like, I'm out like that. Not only is that unpopular, that would be very dangerous because these are some very dark and wicked people. And they like, like they skin people alive for fun. I don't want to do this, God. And so Jonah runs from God. God pursues him. And we saw this like in episode one, if this was a Netflix series. And it ends with, with Jonah basically giving up and telling the sailors as God sends the storm to get a hold of Jonah. And Jonah's like, throw me overboard. I'm out. And that's kind of how the story ends, except... There's one little verse at the end of chapter one we didn't look at last week, and this is actually how episode one ends. It says, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. He's kind of on a timeout. <laughs> I mean, have you ever experienced a season in your life? I mean, if you can go back to childhood, you remember this, like when, when you were in trouble and you were put on timeout, it's not a fun experience. When uh, our girls were young, we have two girls, uh, one of the things we discovered with our oldest daughter is that the most effective form of corrective discipline was timeouts with her. Like, she, she would not listen to anything we would say, and we'd say, you need to go sit on timeout. Fine. And she would go do it. And I'm like, I don't know why it works, but let's leverage this. <laughs> but I remember when she was about four years old, we had just moved into a new kind of community complex area, and she was getting to meet some of the other kids in the, in the, the, the neighborhood we were living in. And she said, can, can I have some friends over? And so for Christy and I, this was a first, because... We don't know what to do when you have friends over for the first time. Like, it's not like there's a manual they give you as a parent. So we're just kind of like, okay, let's figure this out. And, and so the, the, a couple of her friends come over, and so they're having a good time kind of just playing in our living room. And, and her younger sister, Brooklyn, is in the mix, and she's like maybe two years old. And so we hear the sound of Brooklyn, a thud, and Brooklyn's crying. And, 
So we come walking in the room, and Brooklyn's crying. She can't really articulate what's going on, and we're like, what happened? Like, oh, she fell down, and we're like, okay, well, be careful, because she's little, and, and so then, like, we kind of leave. It happens again, so I step in, and I'm kind of observing the play, and I realize the older sister is making a spectacle of younger sister, and she's just body-checking her to have fun and to impress her friends, and I'm like, whoa, hold on. No, 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 no. We, we don't do this. This is not how we treat each other. Like, this is not what we're going to be about in our family. And so I have the conversation with her. I say, yeah, like, don't do this anymore. And I said, if you continue to do this, the, the party's over. Your friends will have to go home. Clear? Yeah. I walk out. Boom, it happens again. And so I have to step into this moment and just say to the friends, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, just, just, we just need to cancel the play date. Like, just can you walk to your neighbor's house and you know, go back home, and Indy erupts, like, I mean, fury of a four-year-old in this moment, and so the kid, the, her friends leave, and in, in, in her world, like, there's embarrassment, there's shame, I mean, all these things are going on inside of her, right, but she's just livid and screaming, you're the worst parent ever, and I hate you, and I'm like, what happened, I thought we were close, like, it's just terrible, but like, so it's like, okay, if, if this, like, you need to go sit on timeout. She's like, fine, and so she stomps off and goes on this little timeout mat we had for her, and she's just raging in defiance in this space, and so what we have learned to do at this point is give her space, let her cycle it out, and when she's ready, we'll engage with her. So Christy and I are sitting in the living room waiting, and like, this goes on for five minutes, like level 10, eruption of anger and rage. 10 minutes go by, and I'm like, I don't think she's cooling down. Like, what does the book say we're supposed to do? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, 15 minutes of just pure rage from her. And so finally, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to step into this space with her. And so I walk up the stairs where she was sitting, and all five, ten of me standing over her. Like, I'm literally just looming over her in this defiant rage in this moment. And, and I realize I don't like this dynamic between us. This, this isn't how I want our relationship to be. And it makes me realize I don't like it when it's like that with me and God either. Like those times in my life when I feel like I, I've been put in time out for something that just is out of sync with God. And, and in those times where God is looming over me and, and I'm like, I don't, I don't like this, God. Like, like, I don't want this dynamic with you, but what, what, what's going on in the story? And, and, and I struggle to figure out what to do with God in those moments because, because there's, there's, there's things I've learned about who God is that, that don't always seem to make sense in those moments when it feels like God is looming over me. And, and see, like, what I've discovered or learned about God is that, that God is really good. Like, God is really, really good, and, and he actually desires good for us. And and his intention toward us is always good. Like, like, like for, uh, for instance of this is, why, why did God even make us in the first place? Like, have you ever just thought about that? Just bored, middle of the night? Just like deep philosophical, theological reasoning questions? Like, why did God make us? I mean, was he, was he bored? Was he lonely? It's an interesting question, isn't it? And I don't think it's any of those things. I mean, I, I certainly don't think it's that God was lonely because one of the things that we're told about God is that God is love. And for love to be real, it requires more than just one person. And so God was love long before he ever made any of us, which, which means that somewhere in God's existence, God was existing in 
and a loving relationship of some kind. It's why we try to create doctrine to help us understand what we see about God revealed to us in the scriptures. Why we have this doctrine called the Trinity, which is mind-blowing and fascinating, but it's the idea that the, like God is God, but there's like three persons who interact in that relational dynamic of who God is, which means that long before we were ever on the scene, God was in relational love with God's self, which is such a cool idea when you think about it. That means that at the heart of the universe, wherever that is, there's God existing in love because God is love. What a cool idea that, that the creator of everything is in this relationship of love, which might be a clue as to why he created us. Because I think God understood how awesome he was and said, I got to share me with some people. And that's not arrogance. That's just God realizing I'm the greatest there is. That's just truth. And I'm so good, I want to share me with some people. Like, have you ever just discovered something that's so good you couldn't wait to share it with people? Like, it's been fun for Christy and I exploring Petaluma and figuring some stuff out. And so we were out on a, an impromptu date night a little while back, and I was just like, I'd love to get some street tacos now that we're back in California. That exists here. It doesn't exist in Canada. Let's find it. And, and we found Elroy's. <laughs> the truck. And it was just like, oh. Like, I found the gateway to heaven. It was so great. And so I'm taking a picture of Christy, and I'm posting this online because I want all my friends in Canada to know this is Mexican food. It exists. What they're selling you up there is not it. Like, it was so great. Like, I just, I wanted to share this with everyone because I found something good. That's why God made us. Because he knew how good he was, and he couldn't wait to share himself with us. It's why we're told in the beginning story that God said, let us make them in our image. Like, I want to make them enough like me that they could know me, which means that our, our greatest joy in life, our greatest experience of life would be to walk through life knowing God, experiencing God, being in relationship with God, and, and this is why God made us. And so I understand that like, God's intention is always good. He desires our good. He wants to lead us into good things, even when... And that story we have, the beginning story, even when our first parents didn't, didn't trust him, when they made that fateful decision to say, like, God, we think you're holding out on us. We're going to try and find goodness apart from you. And they screwed up everything, including their relationship with God. Even then, God didn't give up on them. It's not like he said, Adam 2.0, let's figure this out. Like, he said, no, I want to I I work with you in the mess of your story. And in Genesis 3, you see this beautiful promise that he makes to the woman that I'm going to send a rescuer who's going to step into the story, and he's going to fix this mistake. God's always good. Like, even when we act like our first parents and make our own choices and go our own way and, and do our own thing, and, and yet even in those places in our own stories, God still pursues us. Not, not to come after us with judgment or condemnation. No, he pursues us because he wants to find us and rescue us and and the incredible thing about what he's done for us through Jesus is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's ancient promise from the very beginning, that I will send a rescuer who will come and step into your story so that you can step back into relational orbit with me. And so this is the incredible thing that we see about God, that God is good. All the time he's good, even when we're being, well, when we're being us, <laughs> he's still good. So what's God's intention? Like, what's he doing in those moments where it feels like he is looming over us? Like, what's going on in those moments? 
Again, being a parent helps you discover a lot of things <laughs> about life. So there's another time when we're hanging out with our girls, and our youngest, Brooklyn, is maybe two-ish, like old enough to be mobile and to think she can live life on her own. And so we're hanging out at this fountain in this kind of like outdoor mall area, and it's just a beautiful day, and she's loving life, running around the fountain, splashing water, and, and now we got to go because we have dinner or something that's going on. And we're like, okay, let's go, fam, let's go. And so, you know, India, our oldest, the oldest child that's just mostly compliant except for that one epic tantrum, <clears throat> she's like, okay, but Brooklyn looks at me and goes, no, and she runs to the other side of the fountain. So now I'm like, ah. so I go to get her, and all of a sudden, she, she's just doing this game with me. And I'm like, oh, like now I know I, I'm faster, I can catch her, but my concern is if I chase her, she'll run, she's going to slip because it's all wet, she'll crack her head. So I'm like, I'm aware of dynamics you're not even aware of, so what do I do? So I, like, I tell Christy, like, why don't you just take Indy and go, and, and I'll catch up with you in Brooklyn. And so as Brooklyn is dancing around the fountain, I just begin to kind of fade back into the crowd, and I kind of lean against the side of one of the kiosks where I can see her and everything, and I'm just waiting for the moment when she realizes she can't see me. And it happens. Because she looks up, smile on her face. She's like, oh, no, where did they go? Where did they go? And she saw the general direction we had left. And so, you know, two and a half years old, she's smart enough. I need to go this way. That's where they went. So she starts running through the crowd. And now I'm, I'm paralleling her in the crowd. She can't see me yet as I'm just kind of watching. And then I kind of get a, a little bit ahead of her where I can kind of step into her field of view. And I'm just like this, like, are we going to go? And she sees me. And she's like, <gasps> and then she runs back to the fountain. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you little, little. So I go back to the fountain with her, and I, and I do the same thing, and so all of a sudden she's like, where's dad? I don't know where dad is, and so she begins to kind of run into the crowd looking for me, but this time I get behind her so that she can't see where I'm at, so she'll continue moving in the direction I want her to go until she finds mom and sister, and then she's just like, oh, I'm found, like she was like scared in that moment. Is it possible that when God's kind of looming, it's because it's not this God who wants to come down hard on us. It's because he wants to lean into the space we're in and, and, and say, I want to bring you back. It, it, I mean, it, it's almost like there's this dance that God wants to invite us into with him. Like he wants to, to invite us into this relationship with him. And, and yet so many times we resist him and we run, run away from him. And yet God doesn't give up on us even when we resist him. It's like he pursues us, not, not to punish us but to invite us back into the dance with him because he knows he's so good and he wants to lead us into the good that he has for us. And he's just waiting for that moment when we're in those places, when we're ready to say, help me. When we're ready to say, teach me to dance with you again. Because he's a gentleman and he always waits for us. And I think this is what's so neat about what we see going on in this story of God and Jonah, that there's this dance that God is inviting Jonah into, and Jonah's running from him. And so God's like, okay, I'll give you your space. You want to run from me? Go ahead. I'll give you your space. But yet God is still pursuing Jonah because he's wanting to invite him into the dance. And so even when Jonah says, I'm out, throw me overboard, God pursues him while giving him his space. And so that's why we see chapter 1 ending. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And so, yeah, he's on a timeout. But it's not just a timeout. It's a time of soul searching. It's a time of reflecting. Okay, what is going on in this relationship with me and God? And so it doesn't take him very long. Well, it took him three days, which is kind of stupid. You're inside a fish. Like, bro, call out for help. But just he's in that defiant place, like, no, I'm going to be sushi. It's fine, right? Like, I don't need God. 
But finally, after three days and three nights, we're told that Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You see, Jonah finally hits his rock bottom in this moment. And I think there's a lesson for us to understand about what is going on here that, that might be pertinent to some of our stories today and what's going on with us and God, wherever we're at in that space with him. And see, I think here's the lesson. I think sometimes God lets us hit rock bottom. I think God lets us find that bottom place. And I wrestle with that because I think, God, like, why, why do you wait to intervene in my story until this moment? Like, why didn't you step in a little bit sooner? And I think what God would say is, I tried. Hey, Jonah, I sent you a storm. All you had to do was cry out to me in the storm, but you said, throw me overboard. I tried to reach out to you, but you weren't ready yet. And see, I think God lets us hit rock bottom in the hope that we will awaken to him. In the hope that we will say, I don't like this. Where are you? Can you find me? Man, have you ever been there? Maybe some of you, that's where you are today. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you're just living in a place of consequence because of choices that have been made in your story. Maybe they weren't even your choices. Maybe someone else made choices for you that have impacted your life. But in this space, you've acted in a spirit of defiance or anger or bitterness, and now you have made choices. Or maybe you're in a place, a predicament that you find yourself in because of the path that you've been walking. And, and I think what I would just want to encourage you with is God's not giving up on the story. What, what, what's he maybe actually even doing right now in this place that you find yourself in? Like, how is God trying to get your attention today? Because he's there waiting for you to turn to him. And this is what we see going on with Jonah as he's singing this song from the depths of the ocean from his place of rock bottom. And so he goes and he says this. He says, you threw me into the ocean depths. I don't know, is that what happened? Remember chapter one? Who threw Jonah into the ocean? The sailors. Why did they throw him into the ocean? Because he told them to. You ever get the story wrong with God sometimes? (laughs) You threw me into the ocean depths. And I sank down to the heart of the seas. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy ways. And then I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Jonah, I thought you were running from God. Jonah, what's going on in this moment? And see, I think Jonah's wrestling with God. And part of his wrestle is he's recognizing God's role in his story. And and I think what's fascinating about what Jonah's doing here, when he says, like, hey, you threw me into the ocean depths. I think this is either an indictment against God or this is an acknowledgement of God at work in his story. And maybe it's both. <laughs> and yet here's what we know about rock bottom. It's not a fun place to be, is it? And the bottom sucks. I mean, let's just be honest. It hurts like hell. And yet I think our hope is that that doesn't have to be the end of the story. Because something amazing about rock bottom is that we have a choice to make. We always have a choice to make. When we're in that place of, of wrestling where it hurts and, and we're in that space of pain. And have you ever noticed like when you're in that spot, like you just lash out at everyone and anything. You're just shaking the fist. Sometimes we're shaking the fist to God. 
which recognize when you're shaking a fist to God, guess what? You're praying. That's called prayer. And yet we have a choice in that moment. And we can choose to turn from God or we can choose to turn to God. Because the incredible thing about rock bottom is rock bottom is not the end of the story. The bottom is not a dead end. The bottom is an opportunity. It's a place of awakening if we choose to. And let me tell you, whatever your rock bottom is today, don't find out there's a sub-basement. Like, let today be bottom, if that's where you're at. And your chance to raise your hand and say, God, can you meet me and help me with where I'm at? Because it's at the bottom that we're going to choose a path that leads us back to God, or we're going to choose a path that takes us further from Him. And I think for some of you that maybe you feel like you're there today, man, friend, what choice are you going to make? Because it's no coincidence that you showed up here today. Maybe today God's tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, hey, I'm here, I'm here. And because of what God wants to do, I think there's hope in all of our stories, no matter where we find ourselves. Because what if today's struggle is God's work in your life? Wanting to wake you up to him. And what if Jonah's right? And in that place, we are allowed to express both our hurt and anger and confusion and frustration and our desire for help. What if it's okay in the bottom of life to shake the fist and there's an indictment, but there's also acknowledgement? And what if God's not concerned about who's got the facts right? He's just glad you're engaging with him in this moment, saying, okay, cool, let's talk, finally. It took you three days and three nights inside of fish, but here we are, we're finally talking once again. And in those places, we let him move and speak and work in our story, and we let him begin to call us back to him into something that, that reminds us of who he is and what he's got. Because at the bottom, sometimes that's when we're most open to him. That's when we're most available to him, which is something I wrestle with when I think about my story and how God has done this dance with me. Because so many times I'm like, God, why, why does it have to be the bottom? Like, I think it would be so much better if those deeper works that you want to do in my life would happen when the sun is shining and I'm singing zippity-doo-dah. Like, that would be awesome, God. Like, why can't you work in my story then? But I think because God knows me better than I know me. I don't know about you, but have you ever recognized the fickleness of yourself? I'm a pretty fickle guy. Like when it's going great and life is well, and I think God sometimes wants to come close and say, hey, let's do some deep work. I'm like, shh, not right now. You're ruining the movie. <laughs> you know, and I think what God is like, no, that there's a better movie I want to write your story into if you'll let me. So don't waste this moment because maybe there's some things that God wants to do because, see, at the bottom, we always have a choice. We always have a choice. So what happens when? What happens when we choose to turn to God? And I think this is what's so amazing. This is what we see happening in Jonah's story in this moment as he sings this song from the depths of the, the ocean. He says this. He says, then I said, oh, Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. See how he's choosing to turn to God finally? He says, I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. And I, and I love that Jonah just feels the permission to just tell God how he's feeling right where he's at. To just be honest about what's going on. And see, I think turning to God, it's never a denial of the reality that we're in. 
Turning to God from the bottom is inviting him to come into the depths with us. Like, I don't have to somehow get it all sorted out and feel like I'm clean and pretty and shiny before I pray to God. I just say, help me right here, and God comes in close. That's why Jesus came into this world to be with us. He didn't say, climb the mountain and come find me. He said, let me come into your space, and I'll be with you. And I love that this is a God who lets us be honest with him. So Jonah goes on, and he says, but, O Lord, my God, but you, O Lord, my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. This is really cool. You know what Jonah's saying? Thank you for the fish. Like, because I was ready to say, I'm done. My story's over. When Jonah said, throw me in the water, he wanted to die. And God said, I'm not done with you. And so here's Jonah realizing that God still has more life for him. And he's saying, thank you for the fish, God. Is it possible that the work God wants to do in you right now is going to be so profound, so life-changing, so transformational, That there will come a point in your story farther down the road where you will look back on today and you will say, God, thank you for the fish. Thank you for this moment where I was so down, so rock bottom that I turned to you and you began to do something new in my life and in my story. I love that because the bottom is not the end. It's a beginning to step into something new that God wants to do. And so Jonah goes on and says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And see, Jonah begins to remember God's goodness in his life. He begins to remember what God has done. And I think this is really what begins to happen when we turn to God. We're suddenly reminded of who he is in our story. We're reminded of his goodness, the things that he's done for us in the past. We're reminded of his mercy and we're reminded of Jesus. And how he has stepped into our story because we're loved. And and I think when we get to that spot, we begin to realize, God, you have gotten me through darkness before. So I know you can get me through this moment, through this place, through this season once again. And see, I think there's a beautiful truth that we're reminded of when when we find our place in that bottom place. This beautiful truth of something incredible about God and what he wants to do for us. And here's the beautiful truth. God owes us nothing. Yet he chooses to give us everything. Let that hit you for a minute. Because I think that challenges a religious approach to God. Because a religious approach to God says, I've done all the things, therefore you owe me. A relational approach to God says, I owe you nothing, but I want to give you everything. So come close. And this is the beautiful thing that we see about Jesus, this promised rescuer. Paul, one of the early Christian leaders writes to the Christians about just this idea of God owing us nothing but wanting to give us everything. He says this in Romans 5.8. He says this, God showed his great love for us in this way, by sending Christ to die for us when we were awesome and we had it all figured out. That's not what he says. By sending Christ to die for us when we were what? Sinners. Man, when you and I were at our worst, that's when God gave us his best. Because he wanted to bring us back into life with him, to bring us into the hope of something new. And I love that. That means we can come here as we are. And God's like, sweet, let's go. Let's move into something new. See, God owes us nothing, yet chooses to give us everything. And it's such a beautiful truth. And yet it's something that I wrestle with in my journey with him. Because here's the reality of that statement. If God owes me nothing, then I cannot demand anything. 
But again, I'm that fickle guy that thinks he's got his rights. And so many times in my journey with God, I'm like, all right, God, here, here's my list of demands. Fulfill this, 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 and then maybe. And yet what I need to remember is that my relationship with God is not a contractual relationship. It's a relationship of a being that loves me so much, he wants to give me life. And my job is to simply say yes and step into it. And the more I'm reminded of God's goodness in my story, the more I come to realize I don't want a contract, God. I want you. I want what I was created for, to see your beauty and your goodness and to feel you move in my story and in my life. And so, God, would you take me as I am and begin to do something new in me? And would you always take me as I am and always do something new in me? And I think this is why it's so important in our journey with him that we got to remember the story that we've been living with him. we got to take snapshots of the dance along the way because we see the rhythm of how God works despite us and how God is faithful to us. And, and it reminds us that, hey, we can always go to him. And I don't know how you record your story. Some of you are journalers. That's awesome. I'm not. I'm a collector. I've got these little rocks in places of my, in my life that I just kind of grab onto in a moment that remind me of something. And I, the reason I like the rocks is I can just grab them and put it in my pocket. And if I'm going through a hard time, I'm like, oh, remember that? Yeah, I remember that, God. So how do you remember the story? Because that helps you get through the low place. And see, in his love and goodness, man, God wants to lead us to a willing surrender where I come to him and say, here I am. I trust you with me. So let's do something together. And we see this going on with Jonah over and over again as he's singing the song from the depths, as he's singing from his rock bottom. And he goes on in his song and he says this. He goes, God, those who, who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercies. And see, Jonah recognizes that there's traps that we can all fall into in life. We, we can all settle for these other gods thinking that they'll satisfy us and fulfill us, especially if we're in that hard place because it's easy to turn to quick fixes, whether it's substances or surrogates or shopping, whatever it is. Some are thinking this thing will solve the hurt, the ache, and, and yet when we turn to those things, we turn from the one who can actually meet us and fulfill us and give us the life that we're looking for. And so Jonah recognizes this. And so he goes on and he says, but, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. And so Jonah chooses to worship God despite, despite being in the depths. And I think that's an incredible thing to realize is that we can worship God wherever we are. Like, like God and us are not separated by circumstance. And worship doesn't have to be when the sun is shining. Worship can be when there's darkness and hurt and pain. Worship doesn't have to feel good to be worshipped. And we actually have the freedom to come to God as we are in our pain and in our hurt and in our struggle and say, God, here I am and here's my prayer. And I think oftentimes, sometimes it's, it's those painful times that become transformational in our worship. Because our worship actually becomes, I think, maybe more honest and real versus fake and facade. And I think so often God meets us in that place. And I love that what that means is that we don't have to hide the story. We don't have to hide our feelings. We can come to God and worship him with our doubts and our fears. We can come to worship him with our hurts and our, our anger. We can come and worship him as we are. And God doesn't flinch. God doesn't freak out. 
just read the Psalms. I don't know if you've ever read the Psalms, the middle songs in the Bible. They're honest and visceral and real, and God put it in there so we could see, this is how you can pray to me, because God is big, and he's not afraid of our story or our hurts. God is good, and he's got life for us. And because he's big, he can take it. He can take whatever we're experiencing, and he will take it, and he will transform our story, and he will replace it with hope because today is not the end of the story. (laughs) And so I'm looming over her as she's just standing with defiance, looking up at me. You're the worst parent ever. And then I just stand in that space with her for a heartbeat. And then immediately her countenance changes and she just looks up at me. And she just says, will you hold me? And so I said, no, you're a punk. (laughs) No. (laughs) I did not say that. Because I'm trying to learn how to be a good father like my father. Will you hold me? And I said, of course. I just sat down in that space with her, and she crawled into my lap, and she was on fire. I mean, she was just burning up with her rage and her heat. Like, we could have probably powered the entire state if we could have harnessed this energy coming off of her. And she just leaned into me, and I could feel her heart just pounding. And I just said, I love you. Let's figure it out. I think that's God's heart towards us when we're in that place of hurt and anger and defiance. And I think something awesome begins to happen when we turn to God. He begins to teach us how to dance with him again. I love how Peter captures it just very simply, one of the first followers of Jesus. Peter, if you're ever struggling to be a follower of Jesus, just look at Peter in the Gospels and know that you have hope. Because he was the guy that screwed it up, and yet he became the rock that God wanted to build the church on. So if you're a messed up person, whoo, you got hope today. Because somehow God likes to use people like us. If you've got it all figured out, you're great. He won't mess with you. (laughs) But look at what Peter says. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. What a beautiful invitation to come as we are. And to just say, would you hold me? And know that he'll step into that space and he will lift us up to honor with him. Because that's what he wants to invite us into. And so this is where Jonah's at, as he's in this rock bottom and he sings this song of prayer to God. And God meets him where he's at. And begins to lead him into the dance again. And so this is how episode two ends. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out on the beach. What a, what a fun and terrible moment that must have been for him. Oh, I'm back. Whoa. <laughs> and yet this simple phrase as this chapter ends means God saying, I've got something for you. If I was done with you, Jonah, you would have been in that fish. Jonah, I'm not done with you. Let's step into this dance together. Let me lead you. Let me walk with you. Follow me. Let me show you what I have for you. Because God is always inviting us into the dance with him to learn how to move in rhythm with him. And so I don't know your story today. 
I don't know what you're walking through, what you're carrying, what you're feeling, but what's the song that maybe you need to sing today? Where do you need to say, God, would you hold me? God, would you find me? God, would you help me right here as I am? And just be willing to raise your hand to him and say, I'm yours. Help me. Because I want the life that you have for me. And he's a good father. And he will meet you where you are. And begin to speak words of life and hope to you once again. And maybe you don't even know anything about Jesus But here's what I want you to know. You're here today because he brought you in this moment because he wanted you to hear these words. You are loved. And today can be the beginning of something new in your story. And all you have to do is reach out to him where you're at and say, Jesus, show up in my story and teach me to follow you. And he'll begin to move in your story. So let me pray for us as we continue with our service. Father, thank you that you meet us You meet us as we are because you love us as we are. And yet in meeting us as we are, you desire something better for us. And so I would just ask that as we find ourselves in this space right here, right now, we would know that whatever's going on in our story, it's not beyond you. That you haven't given up on us. That maybe we just have to be willing to look around the crowd and see you just waiting for us to acknowledge you. And the moment we do that, you step in and say, let's go, let's go, let's go. And so, Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. May we step into it and dance with you again. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.